Canton, Ohio. It is a beautiful day to be hosting a radio show. I will be keeping you busy here on 1480 WHBC in the Hall of Fame city for the next three hours. My name's Noah Hiles. You've probably heard my news updates, but they finally let the kid talk into a microphone for more than two minutes. Like I said, I will be hosting today's program from 8 to 11 o'clock. We've got a lot of good stuff to cover Um And I'll give you a preview of that right now. Actually, before I do that, I want to talk about that song that just played. Um, I've always wanted to work in radio. I've always wanted to have my own show. And I decided a few years ago when I get to host a show for the first time, that would be my intro song. It's a song that I would imagine most people listening haven't heard. It's called Lead Bass Paint by Court 4. Court 4 is a band from Burgettstown, Pennsylvania, my hometown, and... The lead singer of that band and all, all of the members of that band were good friends of mine growing up. Ryan Dupain, Tyler Zelenko, Roger Vigilotti. The lead singer, though, Ryan Dupain, uh, played high school football with them, tragically passed away a few years ago. So in honor of Ryan, in honor of Burgettstown, I wanted to open up the show playing that song and uh, start things off on the right hand, uh, right foot forward. I got John Bazika here with me. John, how are you today? Good. How about you, Noah? Good. It's good to have my buddy John here. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I know. I've, I've, I've guest hosted a few times with you when I was an intern. I helped produce your show on Tuesdays where you let me get behind the mic a little bit. But uh, yeah, look yeah. how the tables have turned, my friend. I know. I know. This is weird. Are, it's, you, are uh, you a little nervous seeing me in control right now? No. No? No, no I, not I at all. Be, I, no. I, I, know, I know that you are going to, uh, to have a good show today. Oh, I, I, I hope you're right. All right. So let's take a look at what we're going to talk about today. We're going to start things off, actually, um, talking with... John Bazika, he will be we will be discussing what it's like to work in the media in today's world. It's obviously a crazy political climate. COVID-19 related news is everywhere. And uh, my first year as a news reporter, my one year anniversary, John, is tomorrow with WHBC. How crazy is that? Really? It's yes, tomorrow. One year anniversary is tomorrow. And you recently just got a show. So we both stepped into new positions recently in 2020. What a crazy time to do uh, any kind of news content. So we'll talk about that. At 8.30, we will be joined by Lenny Reich, the Sports Information Director for the University of Mount Union, where we'll discuss some Division Three athletics, the fall athletic plan for the Purple Raiders. Uh, OAC, already can't, or OAC already announced that it will be just conference play for fall athletics. We're going to get a dive into what that looks like. How do you coordinate that? The whole 9 o'clock hour, we'll be talking some baseball. The Cleveland Indians and the Pittsburgh Pirates, they have a scrimmage today, folks. Baseball is back. Doesn't really count yet, but it's back. We should be excited. We're going to talk to Alex Stump, beat writer for DKPittsburghSports.com at 9.15. He's going to give us a look at the Pirates and what's been going on uh, in Pittsburgh as far as that baseball club's concerned. And at 9.30, Hayden Grove with Cleveland.com will join us where we'll discuss all things Cleveland Indians. We'll get a look at not only what we can expect from today's scrimmage, but moving forward, it's a 60-game sprint to the finish this MLB season, and the Tribe has has just as good as a chance as anyone to uh, take home the World Series crown. So we'll get to talk to Hayden. The final hour of the show, we're going to be talking some coronavirus. We're going to be talking some Black Lives Matter movement and some other things. We've got some fun topics. We're going to keep it light. We'll get a little heavy at times, too. We're going to be all over the map, but in a good organized manner and that's what we got on docket today but 
as I was reviewing the show, John, thinking about everything I wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. I found out I was going to be hosting this um, around 4 o'clock yesterday, 4 p.m. I said, absolutely, I'm excited. And I was just kind of thinking of different topics, thinking about where the world is right now. And I was inspired by an episode of the show of The Sopranos. I was watching it, and there's an episode where Chris Maltzosanti gets shot. He, he dies. He visits Limbo. Limbo's kind of what our country's in right now. Would you agree with that? As I read through all the news headlines, as I look for things to talk about, be it in the world of sports, be it in the world of health, be it in the, you know, the, the world of the economy, every kind of subject that you could talk about for a show, a show right now, we're in limbo. Some feels, some things, they feel like they're getting better. Some things are obviously getting worse. We could get better or we could get worse. And I think that that was reflected, obviously, on Wednesday night by Governor DeWine's speech. Mm-hmm. We're in limbo. As defined uh, online, if you type in the word limbo, okay. an uncertain period of awaiting a decision or resolution, an immediate state or condition. The fate of coronavirus is now in limbo. We are in limbo. Using it in a sentence. And, and so, I, I mean, I was thinking about it, and I was having some conversations with friends And two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, it did not look a lot different than it is today. However, two weeks into the future is going to look extremely different, not only in Ohio, but everywhere in the country, based off of what happens in these two weeks. Things are going to look a lot different. There's a good chance in two weeks we'll have professional sports back, that schools will be Right around the time where schools are going to be welcoming students back. You know, kids are going to be buying their backpacks. That's if all things go well. If things don't go well, there's a chance more mask mandates could be issued. There's a chance schools could be doing remote learning. There's a chance that sports or other large gatherings or other businesses could be shut down. And to go back to what Governor DeWine said, the ball is essentially in the court of Ohioans. It's in our backyard. And he put that burden, he, he put that responsibility, I wouldn't say burden, on the citizens. John, what did you think of that speech? Did, were you expecting him to do more? And what were your take? Did you, I, I know you've probably talked about this on your show, but I, I mean, it's received mixed reviews. Some people wanted him to do more. Some people said he shouldn't have even had the speech. We're fine how it is. What did, what did you think? I thought it was the last plea before he makes another really drastic move. You know, I think it's it's at the point where he felt that he didn't want to have to close things down again. He didn't want to mandate masks. I think he's hoping that doing this will make it so that people listen. But again, it's been recommended the whole time. It's been said you should wear these things. You should do these things. And lots of people, unfortunately, are still breaking those rules. I think it's getting better but until you mandate it, I still think you're going to have a lot of people breaking the rules. So I think it's like the last step before he says, look, we have to close down again. It you reminded know? me a lot of his first press, press conference. I saw that you said that. In, in March. I, and I remember, I mean, I've been covering COVID-19 for the station now since it 
came to Ohio, and really even before it came to Ohio, I interviewed Dr. Acton um, when the U.S. had its second confirmed case. You can go back on the YouTube archives and check out that interview. It's actually very interesting. Um, but yeah, I remember his first pre- press conference he held when Ohio had its first couple of cases. He talked about recommending things. I recommend that sports teams don't play. I recommend that you know companies start to work remotely, but nothing had been issued yet. He put the ball in our court then, and it didn't work out. We didn't know what to expect, though. Now we know what to expect. We know the deal. We'll see if things act differently. We're in limbo. Our fate is in our own hands. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about one year of Noah Hiles at WHBC, what it's been like covering the wild world of news here over the past 365 days. We'll be right back. About one year ago, my lovely boss, Pam Cook, who I hope is listening, I hope I'm making her proud, she emailed me, a former intern who had been pretty much contacting her every single month for the past three years or so, asking if there are any openings here at 1480. She emailed me back saying that there was an opening for a news reporter position, and I Jumped at that opportunity, I packed my bags, and I moved to Stark County, Ohio, where I started my career as a news reporter. And let me tell you, John, I picked one hell of a year to start a career as a news reporter. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been eventful. I, I think that's the, uh, the calm way of saying that. I, I, I started a year ago tomorrow, I believe, was when I did my training I know my first official day on the payroll was the 22nd, which is coming up in four days, obviously. Um, But I remember right when I started, this seems like 10 years ago. Welcome to camp by Walmart. I did not go to Walmart camp, not 10 years ago or recently. But when I started, the big news story, and this seems like I said 10 years ago when this happened, was the Dayton shooting. Remember that? That seems do, like forever I mean, ago. It, it se- like, I honestly thought that was about two or three years ago. No, that's that's the one-year anniversary of that is coming up. And that was probably two or three weeks into the job. Is I remember just praying, you know, please don't let there be anything difficult immediately. Because I didn't have a lot of experience. I, I did some news reporting in college. I was a producer uh, for a news talk radio station, but... You know, I was still a little, and it was my first time in a position this important, you know, the afternoon news anchor. And I was excited to take on stories like that, but you know, you're always kind of like, let's let's ease into it. Nope, not at all. First couple weeks on the job, the Dayton shooting happens, and that was the main news for a while. The conversation about gun control in Ohio, obviously a, a hot-button issue, a polarizing topic, if you will. And that kind of filled things up until football season got going. Got to experience my first year of high school football in Stark County. A lot of crazy news stories happened during that time, but nothing out of the wild, you know, some typical stuff. That all changed, though, in early March when COVID-19 came to the Buckeye State and 
really made me the man that I am today. I say that half humorously, but in all honesty, I, I learned a lot as a media professional, as a reporter, covering all of this. A lot of sleepless nights, a lot of stressful afternoons. I'll never look at 2 o'clock the same way as I do now with all these DeWine pressers that I've been covering. Made me the man I am today. And, and I, I look at that, and then I didn't think, well, it can't get any more wild than this. And then, man, the computer just wants to keep interrupting me. It really does. Very rude. Uh, and then the Black Lives Matter movement takes off even further with the killing of George Floyd, covering all those protests, which we've talked about. And if that's not enough, John, this is also an election year. So it's crazy. So I picked a crazy year, 2020, to be working in news. John, you picked a crazy year to have your own talk show. You just got this show. It's been, what, a couple months now? Yeah, it was uh, the week of April 27th. Okay, so I wanted to talk to you about that. We're both, when we were in college, we both had goals to work in sports. You know, you you like broadcasting. I liked reporting on it, covering it. I do a little play-by-play here and there. But now look at us. We're both in news during a time where news is more important than ever. How would you say your transition's going into uh, hosting just a normal news talk show? How would you say it's going so far? You know, I, I think it's been uh, a really, I think difficult is the best word for it because you're constantly picking and choosing the right words, trying to pick and choose the right things to talk about. And I think I said this when we started or when I started that, you know, it's it's a case of not only are the experts and national news reporters and so many people in this world, politicians, learning how to cover this for the first time. We're all learning to cover this for the first time. So a lot of it is looking back to, well, how did they cover it during the days of the Spanish flu? What was going on then? You know, you you hearken back to other times things like this have happened. Radio didn't even exist. Yeah, and it's not even comparable. So it's like, you know, it is a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. This is something that we will tell our grandkids about. We'll be like, hey, I remember when, mm-hmm. you know, when your your papa or whatever was, you know, living through the time of the coronavirus and it was terrible. It was a horrible time. So it, it's been unbelievable. Honestly speaking, it has. Now, I've seen you prepare for high school football broadcasts. <laughs> you and I both, I think, are two of the two very big prep guys. Yeah. A lot of notes, a lot of printer ink being used, a lot of highlighters, underlining stars, whatever you want to do. As far as, you know, tracking down your notes here. How's your prep for conversation topics? Because it's, it's a little different than just trying to memorize some stats, some stories, and information. When you're trying to engage conversation, how would you say your preparation's been different? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it goes into trying to figure out what people are talking about. So a lot of it is actually spending time on, on Twitter, Oof. on Facebook, which, Oof. you know, they can both be just yeah. horrible places. But... Um, spending time there and then trying to get the pulse of things through, you know, watching the local news or, you know, reading the paper or, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, there's part of the issue right now with trying to find stories is that there are 190 gajillion news sites that you can go to. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you have to pick and choose each day that, you're going to wake up and one news site is going to give you one story about the president and another news story or another news site is going to give you 10 other facts about the president. So it's like you have to weed out like 
what is going to start the conversation? What's going to make it interesting? And again, because everything is heightened right now, it's sometimes it's impossible to find a news site that just says, here's the facts. I think that's been the hardest part. That's is, what I've really tried to I've tried to keep it simple from my reporting. I know is 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 listening and, and looking for the crazy thing about this virus is if you go to different sites for stats of it, each site has a different total of where the stats are at at that time. So it's like trying to find that stuff is really, really difficult. Trying to locate the right places to look. It can be really, really it can be hard to do. It can be extremely hard, and then trying to find what the truth is 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 even harder. Yeah, yeah, and I, you talked about engaging social media to find conversation topics. I know I've done that for my reporting as well, I, especially when, when COVID was semi-new, you know, late March, early April. I remember going in the Facebook comments, which can be, which can be a dark place at times. It's a rabbit hole you it, don't want to go yeah, down. Yeah, but... I remember going in there and I would read some of the comments. People would have legitimate questions. Why can't I get tested? I remember as one. I remember another one that uh, really hit home with me because I used to be a 1099 employee at some of the other places I worked before here was when when do independent contractors get unemployment? Because we're laid off right now and we don't qualify. And I remember seeing these questions in the comment section and that's a good use of social media. And I remember... I, I thought it was my job to kind of try to provide answers to those questions. And that's what I was doing a lot of the time early on was, you know, I can report the numbers. I, I obviously, you got to report what DeWine says. You have to report all the new health orders and everything. But what do people want to know? That's a challenge in our job. And um, I think another challenge that you, both of us face is being the youngest guy in the room, you know? That's something both of us have had to deal with professionally so far. I was going to say, before you came here, I was the youngest and now, guy in the Yeah, room. exactly. And now, and, but both of us, pretty much every room we walk into professionally, unless we're interviewing a high school athlete, <laughs> we're the youngest person in there. So we're kind of already battling for credibility and respect. We need to sound like we know what we're talking about. We need to sound like we have a pulse on our audience who might have a different reality than us as far as age and different challenges they're facing. And would you agree that that's kind of an extra thing you need to prepare for when you're talking about this kind of stuff? Well, it is. And the reason why it's difficult is because so many people don't look to us as being someone who can have a worldly view of things. And because we're constantly trying to develop that along with trying to develop credibility during a time where having a worldly view of things is what people would say they want. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes it really hard. Like if, if I go on and I talk about you know, the the Spanish flu or something, people would say, well, you know, he never has really known anyone that lived through that, but like someone else might have, someone who's who's an older I mean, age. no or, one on the planet now was around for it. Well, they weren't, but I'm yeah. saying like I know their, their saying, parents though, their would parents have been. Their parents or grandparents. You know, just like I know that when when um, we've talked about other things uh, that that people have, have um, discussed the idea of of the flus from you know the late 60s and the late 50s and and you know neither of us were around for that so it's you know it's tough to to be able to go back to stories that we weren't there for yeah yeah well that'll wrap up our uh reflection on my one year here and you know covering news in 2020 we're gonna take a quick break when we get back we will be joined by lenny reich sports information director 
at the University of Mount Union. We're going to get a look on what fall athletics in Stark County at the collegiate level could look like in a couple of weeks. Stay tuned. Zika playing the hits as we come back. I, you just gotta love that. You gotta love the piano. You gotta love some outcast to start your Saturday morning. And a tradition for Saturday mornings here in Ohio is college football or college athletics. And that's up in the air right now. We're gonna talk about the future of Stark County college football and other fall sports right now as we are joined on the phone by a guy who has been dealing with me in the media since I was just an 18-year-old kid with long hair and a microphone who didn't know where to stand on the sidelines for Purple Raider football games. It's Lenny Reich, Sports Information Director at the University of Mount Union. Lenny, how are you today? Man, no, I cannot believe that I am your first ever guest on your <laughs> first ever show, man. Uh, it's like a, I never thought I'd be like an answer to a Jeopardy question, so oh. here, here I go. So. Well, Noah Hiles Jeopardy, yeah, write that down for the uh, the three people that will ever play that game. But, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you could join me here to t- today, talk some Mount Union athletics. Um, I guess we'll just start. Uh, a couple weeks ago, the OAC announced that it would only be doing conference play for a few Fall sports, I believe it was, correct me if I'm wrong, volleyball, soccer, and football. Is that right? Yeah, so those are the sports the OAC designs a regular season schedule for. So, yeah, the, in those sports at this time, we will play only uh, conference opponents. Um, you know, push back the start of the season a little bit. No fall Sports are scheduled to start until September 19th, and then, uh, yeah, those sports will have a, uh, a little different schedule than what they're used to. Uh, cross-country uh, tennis and golf that participate in the fall, they're, um, they're welcome to participate against out-of-conference teams just because the conference doesn't schedule um, you know, regular season competition for them uh, during the fall season. So coordinating an athletic schedule for one team or numerous teams at a university is difficult already, and I know that's done in advance, but there's also other things that you need to coordinate, like travel, obviously, and and who's going to be running the concession stand, who's going to be on security at the games and everything. That responsibility pretty much doubles, if not triples now, that laundry list of items to take care of. Can you talk a little bit about what it's been like preparing for fall athletics at Mount Union? Well, uh, it's definitely constantly changing, and it's probably going to continue changing uh, between now and um, you know when we get to uh, when we get to September. Uh, you know, the NCAA back in uh, May put out uh, what they call the re-socialization of sport, um, some recommendations, and uh, the Ohio Athletic Conference is following a lot of those recommendations going forward. Uh, the schools, uh, you know, we have met all of the schools have met with each other every week talking about a lot of those same things you were just mentioning, Noah, like how would we uh, accomplish certain things? How would we try and put certain things together? And, of course, as uh, any of us have seen over the last four and a half months, you know, you can have a plan today. And, um, unfortunately, or you know, the, um, the virus dictates a different plan uh, or a plan that has to be changed all the time. So you are constantly kind of 
planning and replanning and putting things in place and together, and and, uh, it appears we're probably going to be doing that for a little while longer. We're seeing Division II and Division III programs, even conferences, some of them cancel their fall athletics or plan on moving them to the spring. Has that discussion taken place at Mount Union? Well, I I can tell you that that NCAA document that I referred Mm -hmm. to that was put out back in May was actually re-updated just two days ago and uh, with a lot of uh, protocols that the NCAA is recommending. So over the next um, couple days and weeks, um, you know, Mount Union and the Ohio Athletic Conference and even Division Three as a whole are going to look at those recommendations and see, um, you know, where where we're all going to fit in those things. At this time, you know, in Division Three, you know, we're the largest NCAA division. There's 450 schools in Division Three. 250 of those schools play football, and right now, about a hundred of the schools, just general membership schools have decided that they're not going to participate in the fall. So that's still, I mean, while that's a very significant number, that is still, oh, you know, about a quarter of our total membership that have come up with that. And so it's, um, yeah, it's something that keeps going back and forth and something, you know, that, that's going to continue to get discussed. I think, you know, obviously we're always coming at this. It's what's best for our uh, for our students and our student athletes and all those people you mentioned that come to work at the games, people that might want to come and spectate at the games. So our all of our discussions always center around what's what's in the best interest of all of those folks, along with working with, you know, uh, local, state, and, and federal officials when it comes to uh, guidelines, recommendations, uh, mandates that they have, and trying to put all that stuff together. Speaking with Lenny Reich, Sports Information Director at the University of Mount Union. Um, Lenny, it's tough to make, you know, these adjustments, to make these plans as is. You know, it's a difficult time for everyone. It's even harder when you're going through a lot of changes in staff. Mount Union, I mean, we're seeing a lot of new coaches for the Purple Raiders, and they're saying goodbye to a guy who's been in charge of the athletic department, the athletic director, Larry Karras, Hall of Fame coach, obviously. Um is no more there. He he is retired as a Purple Raider. What's it been like to um, say goodbye to a guy like you know Larry, who's been so involved during a time like this? Yeah, and and obviously he was around up until just a couple of weeks ago, so it was great to have him around during the initial um, when this thing all started to, to to go you know different. You know it was it was something to have him around, but we had known for uh, for a while that that he was. Uh, going to be leaving at the end of the year yeah we we uh you know he retired and our um uh, longtime administrative assistant michelle mccallum retired and jeff watovich our longtime uh um assistant football coach compliance director and head men's women's tennis coach and you know you can't find three better people i know you know noah because you've talked to all three of them mm-hmm. over the years you won't find three better people and three better representatives of Mount Union than, than those three folks. So, uh, so yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, the last few weeks without having them around has definitely been, uh, has definitely been different. Um, you know, we have an interim athletic director in, uh, in Mike Parnell who uh, played football at Mount Union. He's an Akron native. He uh, had a very successful career in the business world. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, he's done a, you know, he's uh jumped in kind of the deep end of the pool, but he's done a great job trying to uh, make his way through all the stuff that's uh, 
that's going on. We also have a new president, uh, Tom Boatsman, uh, you know, new president at Mount Union as well. And so, yeah, so, and, and Tom used to work at Mount Union as a professor for a number of years, an administrator. So, um, so I think it's great to have, you know, have people that have some ties to Mount Union that are back in those roles. But I don't know if anybody could prepare you for those things, but, but, uh, or the things that we're dealing with right now. But yeah, we, you know, obviously, you know, you can't say enough about Coach Karras and everything he uh, has meant to Mount Union. Spent, you know, 50 years on campus if you count his four years as a student and his 50, his 46 years as an employee. And you know, uh, you know, it's a tremendous uh, career, obviously, that he had coaching. And then it doesn't, you know, get talked about as much. But his his career as an administrator, you know, is great. You know, obviously the athletic department greatly expanded in the time that he was the athletic director. Uh, there's uh, a lot of you know new facilities that we didn't have that uh, that we have now. Um, you know, obviously he hired you know virtually the entire staff and and all the success that Mount Union has had as an athletic department, along with just its football success. And so I, I mean, just a tremendous individual a tremendous person and yeah it's uh, um there's no way to replace somebody like that but we're we're, we're sure as heck uh, happy that we had the time that we had with him so uh for those missing the the Karis days both with larry and vince now gone um they're in luck because they're able to watch some purple raider football highlights the raider rewinds i've been tuning into them how how have how uh how have those been going i tell you those have been uh well received, you know, a, a, a guy that, you know, you and John both work with and Dean Marini, you know, and his folks at Image Video, they do a tremendous job producing and they've produced all the Mount Union football games that have been on television over the years. And, and to have that uh, vault of those great memories have really been something to allow, um, you know, to kind of pass this time where there hasn't been sports around. Um, I guess you don't realize how much you miss something until it's gone and, and not having live sports. And really, especially in the early days of the pandemic, you know, being able on Saturday night to tune in and watch some uh, classic Mount Union football. And, and we've been able to find some, some great games and some great highlights. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we, you know, the Stag Bowls themselves – are broadcast on ESPN, so we don't have the rights to rebroadcast those games. And there's been some tremendous semifinal games that ESPN has broadcast as well that we have tried to negotiate with them to get to let us uh, replay, but we haven't been able to get those. But there's still some just tremendous games when you look at, you know, we had on like the 85 game against Baldwin Wallace mm-hmm. to see, you know, just to see what Mount Union looked like back then and to see even the commercials, some of the old commercials run during the game and, and see what the campus looked like to up until, you know, the game tonight we're going to show. You're going to see, uh, you know, Cecil Shorts and Kyle Miller, two guys that played in the NFL, play in this game in 2009 up in New York, one of the rare times that we took the TV crew on the road for a regular season game. We took them to suburban Rochester and broadcasted this game at St. John Fisher, a team we had played in the playoffs previous to um, to playing them in this 2009 regular season game. And so it, it was, uh, yeah, so it's just great to always go back and then see some of those names and, the, and hear from some names that, you know, maybe haven't been as familiar or people that you haven't heard from in a while. And um, there's a great group of Mount Union alumni on social media that, that once these games, once they find out what game it is, they start reliving those old memories and start reconnecting with some of their teammates. So it's a, it's it's been a really neat thing to see. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to watching that one tonight as well. Kyle Miller, uh, his father, part of our broadcast team, Mark, 
is uh, yep. a color commentator here for WHBC, uh, WHBC Sports. Lenny, um, I appreciate you uh, joining along here for the conversation, being my first guest of my career and the show today. Um, thanks for stopping by, and um, keep us updated with all the good Purple Raider news moving forward, all right? No, it's hard to believe that just a couple months ago, you and I were sitting at the scores table calling a great Mount Union basketball game for a team that unfortunately didn't get a chance to uh, keep going. But uh, it's just amazing uh, what a difference four and a half months makes. It sure does. Lenny Reich, Sports Information Director at the University of Mount Union. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will be talking change through the coronavirus and the changes we're going to continue to battle through, especially when it comes to returning to school. More on that when we return. Big thanks once again to Lenny Reich, SID at Mount Union, for joining the show. Talking to Lenny brings up a ton of memories from my days at dear old MUC, or UMU as it is now. Our alma mater. We were Mount Union College for a while, and then now it's University of Mount Union. But our alma mater still calls it dear old MUC at the end of the song. It's hot topic for uh, some older alumni. Hot button issue. Our uh, alma mater at Otterbein never really like clarified like like it's it's called the Otterbein love song. Oh. It's kind of it's kind of strange. Like I mean, like in comparison to like other. Alma maters yeah. about like you know like your days and you know the old uh, student union or whatever. It's not quite at that level. Yeah. So I was thinking about returning to uh, you know everyone's thinking about the return to school. That's been a main conversation topic in the news, both at the national level and at the local level. Governor Dewine uh, on last week spoke about how high schools, K through twelve schools, excuse me. Um, can bring students back safely. They have the state guidelines that are on uh, the coronavirus website. Um, local districts are revealing their plans. McKinley revealed theirs. I saw Hoover, I believe, revealed theirs. Some others um, have, have talked about what they're going to do, and they all have different ideas. But I have not seen much of an updated plan from universities. I know they're... The local, like local colleges, like Walsh, Mount Union. I think Malone even released something, but that was months ago, before these cases have spiked, before hospitalizations have spiked, and I feel like the conversation hasn't been on college a lot recently, which makes sense. You know, you worry about children. You you worry about the safety of children. That's that's your first thought. I mean, these college. Well, a lot of people refer to college students as kids they're legally adults they can make they they live on their own they can make a lot of their own decisions but i think the same issue still exists if not on a higher scale where those kids they're going home they can be in a more controlled atmosphere where college you're living in a big community i mean you're living in a big dorm room you're living in a fraternity house or you know a house off campus you're congregating a lot more in college than you are in high school and I, I was curious as to what the expectation is, not only as far as a logistical plan, but what students are expecting. I was talking to my cousin Neil, John, someone you know pretty well, uh, Minerva High School graduate a couple years back, goes to Youngstown State now. Sure. And he was talking to me, he was saying, you know, everyone goes to college for, for an education, but 
you also choose a school based off of like certain experiences. I'm a big believer in you learn a lot about being an adult, you know, living on your own for the first time when you go off to school. You do? I mean, some kids, it's the first time they do their own laundry. Some kids, it's the first time they learn how to cook for themselves, clean up after themselves. There's, those are important experiences, and it's also important to learn how to manage your time I when like, there's I, all those distractions going on. And I feel like those challenges are going to be a lot different now. I always felt like I always knew how to do all of those things. I did too. I just decided not to do them. No? Kind of. Oh, my, my parents made it pretty clear to me when I was like 14. They're like, listen, if you want clothes to wear... I mean, we have purchased you clothes to wear, but we we cannot guarantee you that they will be clean. Like yeah, that's on to, you, kid. My so. brother and I used to like do dishes and like do yeah. like you know little simple things like that. But we were always yeah. I, I kinda... my parents' laundry broke me pretty early. But yeah, we... when, when I was talking to my cousin about it was just kind of you know what's the expectation if you do get to go back to school in the fall? Obviously, and I'm not just talking about you know going to parties or whatever, but Living your life, how how different is your life going to be on a college campus? How safe do you think they're going to try to make it for you? And how do you think other students are going to cooperate with these rules, with these guidelines? He told me straight up, he said, it's almost not even worth it anymore. You know, I, I think the one point, though, that I would make, Noah, is that with schools, that is colleges wanting to go back, they have money and a little bit more resources oh, I agree. to be able to make adjustments on the fly and to be able to do these things. Now, that being said, it still then falls on the students to follow said guidelines. And as you know, kids who are 18, 19, 20 years old don't always want to follow the guidelines. And that's, and that's kind of what he talked about. He said, you know, there. he says he knows a lot of kids that will try to follow the rules and try to be safe. But mm -hmm. he says... There's also a large amount of kids who are just going to ignore everything, and he he's under the belief, and I know a lot of other people who think this as well, that there is going to be a small percentage of kids that aren't going to follow anything, and if that's the if that's the consensus, is it even worth trying? Where college, remote learning in college is a lot more common than it is in K through 12 school, and it's a lot easier to be done, and is it is it a smarter move? universities especially in red counties or purple counties or hotbed areas like in florida is it smart for florida universities to return i don't know i i honestly i don't know that it is simply because you have the element of that the weather is always so nice in florida you can always congregate and get together and stuff like here in ohio when it gets cold, like you don't want to be together like outside. Like it means that house parties could be more prevalent. Oh, for but like sure. I'm just saying, like, and you're not gonna go out and like have a large barbecue when it's cold. To, you count, know? to go off of that, uh Rice University announced that they will be doing classes. Houston, by the way. Oh, was it Houston? No, no, that's I'm saying Rice is in oh, Houston. Oh, Rice University. Okay, in Houston, they announced uh that they will be doing classes outdoors in tents in the fall. Which you know, I, I think is better. I remember when I was in school, outdoor class was always kind of a treat. Like, I remember, like, begging professors, like, yeah, we do, could we do I, class I outside? That like, that was so nice, you know? But now, outdoor class in a tent in Texas when it's 100 degrees, that doesn't sound as fun. Um, I'm going to tell you what. Anywhere in Texas does outdoor. not sound fun. I mean, yeah. it is a really hot state, man. It like, is, yes. But do you think that that maybe is the answer? That, 
I mean, it's going to be a lot harder to do that in Ohio where, I mean, it's 90 right now, but how many nice days will there be after September? You know, you're not going to be able to do that in October or November. I, I just think we have, again, with everything, and it's it's a point that we made earlier, we have a lot to learn about this. And, like, that's why saying that, like, a study has been done on it, sure, you can use studies of what other countries are going through, but, like, you also can't because they don't have the vast population that we do. They don't have some of the same things that we do. And again, they don't do things the same way. That yeah, we do. Due, yeah. To, due to like political and educational structures, it's different than what we do here. Absolutely. So it's like we can't compare ourselves to a Germany. We can't compare ourselves to a Sweden because nope. we're completely different. Yeah. So it has to be a case by case basis. And that's why it has to be done the way that we know it here in, in the United States. Like I said, we're in limbo. I said that in the beginning of the first hour. We're about to wrap up the first hour here on 1480 WHBC coming up. In the second hour of the show, it's going to be all about Indians baseball. We have baseball tonight, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a while. It was supposed to start months ago. COVID-19 kind of ruined that. But we're going to be talking Cleveland Indians, Pittsburgh Pirates, who they will be facing in a scrimmage this evening at 7 o'clock in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We have some writers joining us in that hour. We're going to do some analysis. And we're just going to talk about the return of sports to Northeast Ohio in general. All of that coming up. In the next hour, I'm Noah Hiles. We'll be back. I I don't want to do a Harry Carey impression. That's Kenny's. Kenny owns that. I can't. That'd be stolen valor, I feel like. You're listening to News Talk 1480 WHBC. Noah Hiles here, keeping you busy on the airwaves. I wish everyone listening could have seen your face when I started playing this, because you just, like, lit up like... Oh. Like, Noah loves baseball so I, much. I really genuinely do. Like, I've had former girlfriends ask me, like, if it was me or baseball. And I said, you're out. Whoa. Whoa. Pun intended. Um, But anyway, uh... Baseball returns today, a little bit of it anyway. There's a scrimmage this evening between the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Cleveland Indians. And uh, I'm not sure, are we are we broadcasting that one, John? Will that yeah, be? Okay, tonight? you can listen. Yeah, yeah. 7 o'clock. Uh, probably should just look at the board right behind me that says our programming. <laughs> it's okay. I'm I mean, not used to this chair. I'm sitting, know, in, no, I'm sitting in the driver's seat now. I know. All right? I'm, I looking, know I'm looking forward. Not checking the rearview mirror, even though I definitely should because... It's right there. Yeah, so you can tune in. Pirates-Indians scrimmage. First scrimmage since the pandemic. 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, not sure who's on the bump for either team. We'll we'll get a little bit of a preview from uh, reporters from both How squads. Oh, you get to hear that guy's voice, Tom Hamilton. Man, that'll be nice. I, I mean, just to put that on the radio again. Do some grilling outside. Maybe just drive around, listen to some... Some baseball on the radio. I'm getting tears in my eyes thinking about it. I was gonna say, I before you get into your like real baseball talk. Yeah. I was watching Big Ten Network of all things last night. Okay. And they were re-showing a Northwestern Illinois game from 2010, a football game. Mm-hmm. And I was just sitting there and I was like, I forgot how much I like football. Yeah. Like even though like football hasn't like really been affected yet by this. No. Like still, like it just seems like so long since I've actually watched a live sporting event even though i've watched some golf like it's not like a real live sporting event like because it's not as it doesn't move at the same pace no and and 
it's also just reassuring. I mean, I've been watching, you know, German soccer. I've been watching the Premier League. Bundesliga. The Bundesliga. Uh, I've been watching the Premier League. I've been watching golf. Um, I watched the TBT, the basketball tournament, which was in Columbus on ESPN, which mm-hmm. was a fun, just to watch some hoops. But it means something a little bit different when your favorite team's finally back. And I, I love both the Pirates and the Indians. And this is this is also as a new the news side of me is interested in this matchup simply because this is the first time that it's been two teams from different states, different areas facing different struggles with the pandemic traveling to compete against one another. And it'll just be the the logistics behind it are almost more interesting and enticing than the competition itself because I don't know. Have you ever been to a spring training game? I haven't. Okay. I mean, it's a lot different than watch. And this is what I expect it to be like. You're going to see pitchers throw one or two innings, maybe. You're going to see guys get one or two at-bats, probably a lot of substitutes. And if the game's tied after nine innings, they're not going to go to extras. It's just about getting guys reps. It'll still be exciting to see. You know, I still want to watch Lindor bat. I still want to watch, you know, if they if they have Shane Bieber out there. I'm excited to watch him, you know. Get nasty with it on the hill. Um, but I'm more excited to just see how this all works. Will there be players wearing masks in the field or when they bat? Where will how far will the umpire be standing behind the catcher? You know, what what will look different? Obviously the stadium being empty will look different. Well, not that different at PNC Park, unfortunately. But woof. Uh but it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit of a different experience, and I guess my question to you, John, with the baseball with MLB trying to travel rather than doing it bubble style like we're seeing with the NBA, with the WNBA, mm-hmm. with the NHL, with the MLS, do you think this is possible to pull off all season long? I don't know, because I mean, I, I I just think that again, there's too many. Would you use the word limbo? Yeah. There's too many unknowns to all of this. Uh, when it when it ultimately comes down to it, if you have because like look at it like this, you could go a couple of days and you could have a player that that you know test positive and you've played a game and it's like he didn't test positive until right after the game and it's like if that happens and it's like everybody who's involved in that game you have to automatically like kind of quarantine those teams. We're going to talk about that because. Our next guest, Alex Stump, who comes on in the next segment, the Pittsburgh Pirates right fielder Gregory Polanco, who's been an active part of their inner squad scrimmages, he it was announced yesterday that he tested positive for COVID nineteen. So I'll be interested to see how they adjust to that. Who was he in contact with? Who do they quarantine? But Pittsburgh and Cleveland both dealing with their own struggles. With COVID-19, Allegheny County earlier this week had 300-plus new cases, which was a record for them. Cuyahoga County in the red at level three. Even though things have gotten a little bit better there, both are still heavily infested with virus cases. Safety precautions will be on display, hopefully, tonight when that first pitch is thrown at 7 o'clock. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we will be joined by Pirates beat writer Alex Stump from DKPittsburghSports.com. We're going to talk. We're going to get a little bit of an insight on what the Pittsburgh Pirates, the team facing off against your tribe this evening, looks like. We'll be back. Mm. 
some childish Gambino. Who doesn't love it? Noah Hiles here, 1480 WHBC. That was weird. <laughs> I was going to say, who doesn't love it? Probably a lot of people that have never heard of a it. A lot of people who don't know that song. That don't know who Childish Gambino is. Yeah. I mean, okay, well, I love it. And I'm pretty yeah. sure the guy joining us now also loves himself some uh, some Childish Gambino. We're now joined on the phone here uh, by Alex Stumpf. A Pirates beat writer for DKPittsburghSports.com, a good friend of mine, and we're going to talk about the team taking on the Indians this evening in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Alex, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me on. And for the record, yeah, I do like childish games. I know, I know you do. I know you do. So, <laughs> Alex, um, obviously we've been talking a lot about what it's been like covering Major League Baseball during a world health pandemic. It's going to be a lot different today i would assume at pnc park uh the stadium will be empty uh not a lot of media presence there but i'm sure the anticipate uh, anticipation is pretty large because this is the first sporting event since things have started to reopen what's the overall mood like on the north shore right now as uh, the indians and pirates are you know set to start playing ball here soon yeah, this is going to be the first time the Pirates have been able to play a team other than themselves since March 12th. So I, I don't want to speak for the Indians, but I'm sure they are just as excited as the Pirates, and the Pirates are all sorts of amped for this. I mean, it's one thing to you know get live at-bats against one of your starting pitchers. It's another whenever you can actually get into a semi-competitive environment like we're going to see this Saturday of Monday and Wednesday in these exhibition games. Alex, I spoke a lot about, or I spoke last segment about how Cuyahoga County is in red level three here. There's a mask mandate there. What's the COVID situation like in Pittsburgh? I, I mentioned that there were 300 plus positive test cases earlier in the week. What are some health restrictions and guidelines, I guess, that are in place that Indians players and staff and personnel might have to adhere to as they travel into the North Shore to play some ball? Uh, I don't believe any of the Allegheny County restrictions are going to going to affect uh, what's been what's going to happen at PNC Park uh, this weekend or over the course of the 2020 season. Uh, but things have kind of taken a turn in Pittsburgh over the last couple weeks. Uh, there was a mandate a, a couple weeks ago, right before camp started, that there weren't allowed to be groups of 25 more people uh, practicing or 25 more people in a single group at a single time, uh, which caused the parts to actually rearrange their workout schedules a little bit you know, to accommodate. Uh, there shouldn't be any problems like that this weekend for the Pirates or the Indians, uh, but it is something that they're going to have to keep an eye out on for the entire season because the Indians are going to come back to Pittsburgh in August. And they're also going to come back, I believe, on Wednesday. Is that right? Uh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I'm going to be bold and say hopefully <laughs> the situation on Wednesday isn't going to be that much different. But yeah. who knows anymore? Who knows anymore, right? Alex Stump, beat writer for DK Pittsburgh Sports, covers the Pittsburgh Pirates, joining us here on 1480 WHBC. Alex, yesterday it was announced and confirmed that Pirates right fielder Gregory Polanco had tested positive for COVID-19. We, we've 
been aware of other notable players testing positive, but coming this close to a day of competition, does that change anything? Obviously, Polanco had been in contact with a lot of guys on that team in the clubhouse, you know, running the bases next to them in those scrimmages. Um, What was the club's reaction to that? Do other players have to self-quarantine because of this? Uh, no, no player will have to self-quarantine unless they also test positive. That's the way it works for Major League Baseball this year. You're kind of innocent until proven guilty. Until proven positive. Until proven positive, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you do test positive, you have to quarantine, isolate yourself, and then you're not allowed to come back until you pass two consecutive tests. Uh, the Parks had... A similar situation with Socrates Brito, another one of their outfielders, who tested positive whenever he came into camp, but now is back on the field. And without Polanco in the mix, probably is going to make the opening day roster as a result. Uh, Pirates manager Derek Shelton complimented Gregory for how he went about the protocols inside the building and, you know, not hanging off with people, not slapping high fives with other guys. And while it's extremely unfortunate for him that he had this, that he tested positive, especially after the last couple of years being injured and having so many other problems that have kept him off the field, Shelton said he was really proud with the way Polanco conducted himself, whatever he was at PNC Park. So it doesn't seem like it's going to be a risk for everyone else who is close to being in contact with them. Major League Baseball made these protocols. The Pirates and Polanco are following them. It's going to be a test to see if, okay, do these actually work? Okay, interesting enough. Uh, Alex, COVID aside, what can we expect to see from the Pittsburgh Pirates um, today? Do you know any of the pitchers that are scheduled to be on the bump? What what does this team look like? Yeah, uh, expect Joe Musgrove to start this one. And then the plan is for Stephen Brault and Chad Cole, two other starters, to get a couple winnings, too. Uh, there might be someone else after that, but those are the three that we know for sure. Um, yeah, this is a, a different parts club than I think a lot of people saw the last time these two teams played in 2018, and definitely different than the time before then in 2015. Uh, they're younger in some key areas. Pitching is going to really dictate if this team could, you know, maybe make a run in this shortened sixty-game season. It's it's going to be it's an interesting team is the cop-out answer for it. Uh, there are some really good players in in the mix though. You know, Brian Reynolds, Kevin Newman, uh, Josh Bell. It, it, it's they're not a pushover team. I think what happened last year wasn't. It, especially in the second half, wasn't really indicated to the talent level on the roster. So as the regular season gets going and the the way the schedule's made up, it's it's National League Central will play the entire division and then they'll also take on the American League, American League Central and vice versa. Um, how do you think that fares for the Pirates? They're, they're getting to you know play some... Subpar teams, you could say, with the Kansas City Royals and the Detroit Tigers, but they also have to take on a team like the Indians, who has great pitching, a loaded team like the Minnesota Twins, and an up-and-coming team like the White Sox. What's the uh, overall attitude or expectations, I guess, for the Pittsburgh Pirates this year? Well, in terms of the AL Central, I think the Pirates drew the best division, you know, to potentially play mm-hmm. in in the league because, yes, the Indians, Twins, those. 
are two very good teams. And I actually predicted the White Sox to make the playoffs, you know, before the world ended in March. Hmm. Uh, but you, they still get to play the Tigers. They still get to play the Royals. And that really, really lightens the potential schedule or anything else. As a whole for the team, it's really going to come down to those first two weeks of the season because Gregory Polanco won't be on the team for most, if not all of it. Uh, Keone Keller, their closer, he uh, has not been able to practice on the field yet either. Uh, team hasn't disclosed a reason why, but he was put on the injured list on Thursday. So that means, well, they're going to be without their closer. They're going to be out with their, one of their best hitters, and they have the second toughest uh, first two weeks in the schedule. If they can keep their head above water for just those two weeks, then they might have, you know, a shot. It's like, okay, now, you know, they're getting their good players back and the schedule becomes considerably lighter. If they don't, it's going to be a, a long, short season in Pittsburgh, baby. <laughs> All right, Alex Stump joins us, beat writer for DKPittsburghSports.com, covers the Pittsburgh Pirates. Alex, final question. What is the attitude for the players that you've gathered? Are they are they excited for this competition? Are they a little anxious or nervous that people from another state are coming in uh, about the spread of the virus? What's what's the overall attitude that you've gathered so far? You know, everyone is taking proper precautions with the virus. Everyone is, you know, taking it very seriously. But it's almost like they don't really care right now. They're just so excited to face new competition that that that's just such an exciting prospect that yes there are going to be health risks no matter what but these are going to be the health risks that they're going to be played for the next two months you just have to assume that they're taking this as seriously as you are and now it's just time to play some baseball and i don't think they could be much more excited than they are right now this might be the most excited a Pirates team has been to play an exhibition and then opening day next week than maybe in the last five or six years. Yeah, it is exciting. Alex, where can uh, people find you on social media? Where can they read your work? Uh, like you, you plugged, I, I'm the beat writer for DKPittsburghSports.com. Catch all my coverage there. And you can find me on Twitter at Alex J. Stump. All right, give him a follow. He He covers baseball, not just the Pirates, but he's got some takes on the entire Major League Baseball scene. Alex Stump joins us. Alex, thank you very much uh, for joining the show, and I'll see you in Cleveland on Monday, buddy. Can't wait. All Thanks right. for having me. Yep, absolutely. That was Alex Stump joining us. We're going to take a quick break, and once we return, the moment you've been waiting for, we're going to talk some Cleveland Indians baseball. Hayden Grove, reporter from Cleveland.com, will hop on the show. We're going to talk some tribe when we get back. Some Kanye West. I don't hate it. I know a lot of people probably do not like him. Some people do. No longer running well, for president. I know. It's a good thoughts thing. And, yeah, thoughts and prayers, Kanye. The the four day campaign. He ran. He ran a real scorched earth campaign. Like yeah. he just you know really set aside his his his, his ideals and just you know. Kanye's presidential campaign was kind of like when I decide I'm going to go out to eat and then change my mind. Like I just walk out. The, eh, never mind. It's raining. 
No one cares about my dining plans, though. They do care about Cleveland Indians baseball. And joining us to talk about that is Hayden Grove, reporter for Cleveland.com. We're going to take a deep dive into some Tribe baseball as they are set to take on the Pittsburgh Pirates in a scrimmage in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, this evening at 7 o'clock. Hayden, how's it going? It's going good. How are you guys doing? You know, we're hanging in there as good as you can be in a pandemic, right? Exactly. That we're all trying to get through, right? Yes. As as we try to get through it, Hayden, can you walk me through what the atmosphere at Progressive Field has been like? Just covering the team as a media member, what has been different? I guess a lot's been different, but kind of take us through what it's like to be in the ballpark. Well, actually, I haven't been allowed at the ballpark, so um, that's unfortunate for your listeners because I can't really give them a great perspective. But I do know a lot of people who have been there um, at the ballpark, and it's just very, very quiet. There's you know, there's just not a lot going on in terms of people, and there's not um, that much noise. It's just kind of eerily quiet from everything I've heard. Um, you know, every media outlet only gets one credential and one photographer at the uh, at the ballpark, so there's probably about 12 people there uh, covering it, and they can, you know, kind of mosey around the ballpark and shoot from different areas and watch from different areas, but um, it's just kind of, a, from what I can see and from what I've been told, it's a surreal experience, and um, you know, the guys are going to have to be get adjusted to playing in that kind of an atmosphere with nobody there. I think it's going to be um, very interesting to see how certain guys are affected. I think there are a lot of guys that love the crowd and love the noise and get amped, and, and they're going to have to deal with the effects of not having that. So um, it's going to be a very restricted kind of season in terms of media and fans, and um, I'll be watching. I mean, maybe I'll be able to get a credential here here or there, unlike past years, you know, where I was at the ballpark every day. But um, it's just a different time, that's for sure. Aiden, we talked to a Pirates beat reporter last segment about some of the players who had tested positive or who haven't been around uh, at camp yet. Uh, what Indians do we know that have dealt with that issue, that have tested so, positive or haven't showed up yet? Delano DeShields Jr. was the only one that tested positive for the Indians uh, as of now. Um, he... Uh, was not with the team. He was without. He had two uh, negative tests, and he returned to the team. And then I think he was hurt. Um, you know, it's got to be tough because these guys can't really, you know, work out when you have the virus, and then all of a sudden you try to go back into workouts, and maybe you know you're not in great shape. So um, that could have been the, the, the case with Delano DeShields. Um, their bench coach Brad Mills opted out of the season. He is um, in his upper 60s, and. Uh, he just decided, and he actually lost a uh, grandchild last year, so it's uh, it's been a tough tough year for him. He decided the best thing to do was to be with his family during this time. So Millsy is a huge loss for the Indians. I mean, he's kind of their um, their executive in terms of what happens on the field. You know, what happens during practice. He does so much for them, so they're missing him for sure. Uh, other than that, Franville Reyes got sent home for uh, two days um, because he was seen at a party not wearing a mask at a family gathering not wearing a mask. So um, that sent him home for two days, and he actually had two negative tests, so he was able to come back pretty quickly. But other than that, they're really the Indians haven't had too many issues, which is, uh, I guess, a very good thing. You you kind of jumped into my next point here with Framil Reyes. Uh, with that, how everything went down, what was your take on how the club handled that situation? I think they handled it well. Again, I don't think Framil was in a situation where he was uh, – desperate or trying specifically to 
um, defy the rules. I think it's just a time where everybody's trying to learn and trying to understand what to do and what not to do. Again, it's not something that we were never taught growing up how to handle a pandemic. We were never taught, um, you know, when to wear a mask, how to wear a mask, how to socially distance, how to do this, how to do that. I mean, we are all learning. We are all on the same uh, level. So I think the Indians handled it well. I think they said, well, Prime will listen, that's not how we want to do things. You know, we're going to send you home for two days just in an abundance of caution. Um, we'll give you a couple tests, and when if you pass those, they, they can come back. And that's what, exactly what happened. Um, it was, and did not end up being a big deal. But I will say this. Um, the Indians had a three-hour meeting the other day um, to address their code of conduct. Um, you know, they, they've been very, very adamant about this code of conduct and, and how they want to represent themselves in the ballpark and especially away from the ballpark. And, you know, certain members of the team might not have been doing everything they needed to be doing um, in terms of socially distancing or, or wearing masks or, um, you know, just being, you know, putting themselves in good situations. The Indians did have a three-hour meeting to discuss this. And uh, apparently it was, according to Tito, at times it was uncomfortable, but, um, you know, it's something that they had to um, do because, again, we're all trying to learn. I don't think anybody's trying to specifically hurt anybody. But it's just a situation where everybody's trying to learn, um, you know, day in and day out. Hayden Grove, reporter for Cleveland.com, joins the show here on 1480. Hayden, what can we expect to see from the Indians today? Are you aware of uh, who will be on the mound or who is expected to be in the starting lineup? Yes, it looks like Zach Plesak will be on the mound for the Tribe today. Um, In terms of lineup, I don't think they have that out yet. Um, But it looks like Zach Plesak will be pitching for the Tribe tonight tonight. you know, he's, he obviously came on strong last year, the nephew of Dan Plesak, a very young guy. Uh, he actually told a couple stories this offseason about, uh, or this during this pandemic, about how he was like, tra- he traveled all over with his car just to be able to throw and to be able to stay in shape. He was really adamant about trying to, you know, keep his arm in good shape after spring training. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, again, he's definitely going to be in this rotation. I think it's a, a, a pretty certain deal here, and uh, we'll see how he performs tonight. What would you say the general attitude towards tonight is from the players? Are they excited? Are they cautious? What's what's the mood in the clubhouse, I guess, even though you're not I allowed think, in there? Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, well, I mean, Zoom is a very efficient tool. So, you know, yes. we can still see everything and still see, hear all the, you know, the press conferences and whatnot and ask the questions we need to ask. But um, from, yeah, I think it's, again, I think it's excitement. I think it's excitement. I think I think it's a little bit of excitement and a little bit of unknown you know it's a little bit of unknown i think the players you know are going to be interested to to have an opportunity to get to play the game against another opponent today um but certainly it's not something to where they're going to be um you know overly i don't think they're going to be scared i think they can do this in a in a protected and good way and uh, i think they're excited to finally get back and to play another opponent outside of themselves we're gonna switch switch gears now instead of talking about the play on the field another thing the indians have been on uh, in the headlines for is uh, discussing their name change. Uh, the Washington form, team formerly known as the Washington Redskins, now the Washington nameless team, uh, ch- uh, canceled the Redskins earlier this week. Wh- what, do you, what can you tell us about the Indians' thought process and their decision process as they review the name? So, yeah, I mean, I think that they certainly have had discussions for a long time about the name. Um, and I think the world is changing. I mean, you look at... Um, you look at the Washington Redskins, and they said, "Well, I think Dan Snyder said in 2003 we would never they would never change the Redskins name, and that's 
you know, 17 years later, and the world has changed. I mean, 2020 has brought tremendous change to to the entire world, be it through the pandemic, be it through the um, social justice movements, be it through all of it. Um, and I think that the Indians felt that it was time to at least seriously and earnest discuss it. Um, if they, I thought, I think that they thought, well, if the Redskins are going to change their name. We're probably the closest behind the Redskins, maybe the Blackhawks or something like that in professional sports. Um, and I think they should have that discussion. Now, what, whoever, they're going to have to talk to a lot of different people. They're going to have to talk to Native American groups. They're going to have to talk to their own fans. They're going to have to talk to uh, stakeholders, shareholders. They're going to have to talk to sponsors. They're going to have to talk to you know their own team. They're going to have to talk to a lot of people. And if they do come away, with the overwhelming sense that, okay, we can change the name and we should change the name, then they're going to change it. And I think that's the conclusion they're going to come to um, at some point. Uh, and I don't know when that'll be, but I'm assuming it'll be after this 2020 season. Um, and it's just, you know, a lot of fans are very upset. Um, but I think in, in just my opinion, I think in, you know, in 2021, when they start playing, seeing baseball again, I don't think they're going to be as upset. I think a name is a name. Um, they're, they're more worried about, at the end of the day, I think more people are worried about the name on the front of the jersey than, or uh, the name that represents the city that they're playing in more so than the, uh, the nickname. Hayden Grove with Cleveland.com on the show. Hayden, have any players or coaches voiced their thoughts on the name Cleveland Indians? Yes, uh, Terry Francona uh, definitely, definitely, uh, you know, addressed the situation. And some of the players have as well. Um, I think I think from a player's perspective, they're not as vocal and opinionated on it. Um, I think they kind of just are going with the flow. But Tito, you know, being the leader of the Indians and being being the guy that he is, said, "Yeah, I think it's time to, to for change." I think, you know, if if there are enough, you know, people that find this offensive and find this racist and find this um, to be something that is not becoming of a major league baseball organization, and uh, then yes, I think it's time to move on and. Um, obviously, he and the team are going to discuss it. He is, you know, part of the Indians, um, you know, think tank to where they're going to have to talk about this. So, uh, yeah, they've been, they, they've definitely discussed it, hundred uh, percent. Final question here: We're going to get back to the field now. A sixty-game season—it's a sprint for everyone, and I think it favors teams that have really good pitching, which happens to be the Cleveland Indians. You could say what you want about the team, and you know how they've made trades or signed players or lack thereof and everything, how the offense has been inconsistent every now and then. But starting pitching has been synonymous with this club pretty much since Tito came into town. What do you think about the Indians' chances this year in a 60-game season? Do you think that they can compete for uh, another AL Central crown and possibly compete for a pennant or a world championship? Well, I, absolutely, I think everybody can. Yeah. Um, you look at last year's Washington Nationals, you know, they were – horrible through the first kind of 40%, 50% of the season, and they ended up winning, winning the World Series. So, um, I mean, I think every team is, is liable to have either a great start or a terrible start, um, and, and that's the going to be the craziest and most exciting part of the season is that the Indians have been notoriously slow starters but have found it in the middle of the year, and then they go and push towards the slow season. This year they can't do that. They mm-hmm. cannot get up to a close start. So, um, or to a slow start. So, yeah, I think they have the pitching to do it. Um, I think pitching always, you're right. I think pitching always starts out ahead of hitting. And, uh, but that's, that being said, you know, there's so much more and more that goes into it. Um, you got to have a good bullpen. You got to play good defense. Got to play sound, but, you know, baseball all the way around. But the Indians are as well managed as anybody. They have a good young core. 
Um, I don't see any reason why they couldn't do anything, although it's going to be hard for me to predict anybody to do anything because it's a 60-game season, and you just don't know. You don't know. Yeah, Very true, very true. Hayden, thank you for uh, joining the show. Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me at H underscore Grove uh, on Twitter, and uh, you can find us at Cleveland.com as always. All right, wonderful. Hayden Grove, thank you for joining the show, and uh, look forward to your continued analysis of not just the Tribe, but all things Cleveland sports. Thank you so much. Yep. You guys have a great day. All right, you too. Again, that was Hayden Grove from Cleveland.com. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to con- we're going to wrap up this hour of Indians baseball talk, just talking about sports being back in Northeast Ohio. We'll take your calls. How does it feel to have sports once again here in the Buckeye State? We'll be back. Baseball is back. You know what? I'm almost hesitant to say that, John. I'm hesitant to say that because there's still... Wait, we're, we're about to be at 10 o'clock, so there's still nine hours. Is that right? Did I do the math right? Yeah. Till first pitch, nine hours. Yeah. That's that's too long of a time in Hey, good job. World. They taught you math at... Uh, they sure did. Good old Burgettstown education. Now, if we get past 10, I, I, you know, I don't have any more fingers to count on. No, so you don't. So you be, have to really work That'd be very difficult. Um, I, yeah. I was going to say, I think that... It, it is okay for you to worry about that because I keep thinking back to when the OHSAA had their state tournaments. Obviously, it was right at the start of this, but yeah. they had kids on the floor ready to start going, ready to literally tip off a game, and they were like, nope, we're going to cancel that. And like, and like the thing is, you said earlier that like Governor DeWine's speech the other night sounded like the start of it like mm-hmm. we're almost back at the start of where we were back in march so it's like it is okay to think that no it yeah is. i mean i remember i was telling my friends like i was i was looking at games to maybe put a couple coins on that afternoon and i remember when i was looking through i was ta- talking to one of my friends i said i i don't think that i think this could be the last day i get to watch college basketball in a, in a very long time and I was right. I mean, I remember watching the different games on my lunch break. We have the TV down in the newsroom. On my lunch break, I was watching, it was like two or three different games. I was flipping in between, and one by one, the players were taken off the floor. Two of them during warm-ups. One of them was in the midst of the second half of the Big East tournament. So, yeah, it was it was crazy, and it's, it's, it's going to be emotional to return. I mean, I, I was you and I were talking about how when I'm in the press box Monday— it's it's going to be emotional to just see sports coming back. I was talking with another friend about how I'm trying to cover opening day credential requests still pending. Just seeing baseball being played and how it's going to be played with an empty stadium. I say people are going to walk up to you. You're going to be you're going to be gonna crying. Be a mess. I mean, they're going to probably have some doctor or nurse throughout the first pitch. The national anthem's going to play. Into the empty, echoing stadium at Progressive Field, and it's just going to be like a reflection of what we've been through as a country and everything. And it's going to be emotional. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels that way. I know it's. I mean, sports mean a lot to to people. Yeah. And they mean a lot to people, especially in this part of the country. I grew up in Pittsburgh. It's a very big sports town, and I, you know, I work out in Northeast Ohio now, and I'm, I'm friends with a whole bunch of people who grew up in Cleveland, Akron area. And that, that intensity, that, that passion is matched in, in Cleveland. And to have sports back, 
even something as simple as an exhibition game between two teams who they will play each other three times this year, or six times this year, excuse me. But it just, as the kids say, it hits different, John. It, it really does. And are you excited to watch this game tonight? Yeah, I mean, I, I, or I'm listening more, in on 1480, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I'm more excited to watch when it's actually, like, I'm going to sit and watch an entire game when it's opening day. And mm-hmm. I've not done that in a really, really long time. Like, I normally tune in for, like, innings five through nine, or I'll tune in for the first couple innings because, like, you know, one way or the other, you're going to see the important moments of the game. Like, I mean, I, I had, the year the Indians won 22 in a row. Yeah. 2017. I, I literally just watched like the last like five innings of all of those games because like that's when everything was happening. You know, the night that they hit the 22 game winning streak against Kansas City, I remember sitting and watching Jay Bruce hit the line drive down the first base line mm-hmm. to, to win the game. So like, I mean, you know, but I, I think it's going to be different because as I said, we've had golf, we've had NASCAR, we've had Soccer. some other things, but like baseball, football, basketball, when they come back, as you said, they, they hit a little different for no, people. No, they sure do. Um, And I think being the time of year it is as well, just having baseball back will make things feel a little bit more normal. What's well, the summer thing? I can't tell you how many times I love grilling. That's kind of like my, my safe space, my happy place, if you will, and my apartment. After a long day of covering stressful news, I love to go home and just throw a couple steaks on the grill or some hot dogs or some burgers, and I bring out a lawn chair, and I have my radio, and I've been listening to our rewinds on 1480. And you know, But I love over the summer when you're in the car going for a drive or when you're sitting by the grill or by the pool or just cleaning up around the house to just turn on that baseball game on the radio. I, I mean, that's one of the main things I miss throughout this entire pandemic. And we you played that Tom Hamilton voice highlight. And you're playing it again here. Do you want you it? Find it? Yeah, I want it? want it. How about that? Yes. And just to, just to have his voice again, I mean, that's a voice that people hear, and it means summer. It means memories. It means tradition. It, it means a lot to a lot of people. And you might not even be a huge baseball fan. You might not even be a huge fan of sports in general. But to have something as integrated in our society as Major League Baseball return tonight, I think is a notable moment in the journey back to normal. And we're nowhere near normal, folks. We've got a long, long way to go, but this is an important step on the way to normal. And I think what sports can do is it brings pride back to an area. I remember I interned for this station in the summer of 2016, And Northeast Ohio was oozing with pride in that summer with LeBron James winning a a championship, with the Cleveland Indians winning the American League pennant, with, I mean, there was so much going on there, and there was so much, what, you got something else you want to play? I can do you one better. I can give you a highlight from last year. The one-two. Swung and blasted. High, deep to left. There's number 10 off Reiniger and number 12 for Mercado. And... As you hear Hamilton talking there and you hear the fireworks, the thing that stands out to me is the crowd. And the crowd isn't going to be there this season in Cleveland. But what's nice about it is that crowd, that noise will be echoed through apartment buildings, through neighborhoods, (laughs) wherever. 
and it, it's it's going to be nice for everyone to just have something to cheer for together again. You know what? Because we for? haven't had that in a while. You know what I'd look for is the spot in downtown Cleveland where you could stand in mm-hmm. a building at a high point yeah. and be able to see everything. Because there are, if you're creative, there are spots in the town yeah. that you can go to and you can see into the ballpark. But you have to know those areas. Parking garages. There you go. Yeah. I'm not. I'm, I'm trying not to. There's plenty of parking garages. Try We're going to take a share break. the secret. We are two hours down, one hour left. Final hour of the show. We're going to step away from sports for a little bit. We're going to talk masks and maybe some other things as well. You're going to have to tune in to find out what's in store. You're listening to 1480 WHBC. Fourteen eighty WHBC. I'm Noah Hiles. Final hour of our morning hangout together. And if you're hanging out, I hope you're wearing a mask. No, I'm just kidding. You don't. You don't need to wear one if you're listening on the radio. You're far enough away from me to be safe. But if you're in a crowd or if you're within six feet of someone, I would encourage you to wear one. You don't have to though. Ohio hasn't mandated it. Or mandated. Yeah, mandated it. Made it mandated. I don't know. Mandated it. Mandated it. I was right the first time. So, John, as I was reading through, as I tend to do from time to time, I was reading through different headlines, different articles. The New York Times had a very interesting map that they posted uh, yesterday, and it was a percentage of where people are wearing masks the most throughout the country. It was an interactive map. You could zoom in as far as not even counties, but certain cities. And I was looking around, and... It really made me think. I know there's been a lot of talk about wearing your mask. You you know, there's it's it's become politicized. It's it's you have to wear one at Walmart starting on Monday. Marks is another one. Target, I believe, is also mandating it. Certain counties in Ohio, certain states. I've never once talked about wearing a mask. No, you haven't? No, never. Oh, exactly. Yeah. But I, I think that it's this this study that the New York Times did was very interesting. They said their data comes from a large number of interviews conducted by the global data and survey firm Donata at the request of the New York Times. They uh, contacted over 250,000 survey responses, and the survey data was collected from July 2nd through July 14th. And 250,000 people, I feel like that's enough to give a little bit of an accurate representation. Right. I think that that's a pretty big pool of people. I would say so. And they they have noted that since that data was uh, collected, several states have imposed new mask requirements since the completion of those interviews. But you take a look. Some things that stood out to me. Locally. They did a study in the within the study. The the odds of you going to five random places in your hometown and seeing everyone in those places, or the majority of people in those places wearing masks. What would you say the odds of that happening here in Stark County would be, John? I would say right around like 50%. 50%? Yeah. So I, I went through all of the areas, the different townships, cities in Stark County. It ranges from 18% to 36%. That if you were to go out to five different places mm, in the area. That hurts you would see everyone wearing masks. That number is obviously higher 
in areas where masks are mandated. Now, if you went out in Summit County, that number is going to be higher because they're mandatory. If you went to three neighboring states of Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Kentucky, all have statewide mask mandates. Nationwide, what would you say the percentage of Americans is that wear masks? I'd say it's about the same number. It's 59%, according to this study. So a little bit better than, than half, yes. which is good. I mean, that's that's a good number, but also it's still a failing grade. I mean, if you're at a 59%, if you get 59% out of 100 for those listening, that is still, it's an F+, plus, but it's an F nonetheless. So 59%, how does that compare to other countries? Well, they... they gathered data and information, they looked around. The Philippines, 92% of the population in the Philippines is estimated to wear masks. Mexico's at 85%, Spain's at 84%. Other countries ahead of America include Italy, Japan, Germany. Countries that the U.S. does better at wearing masks. Some of these names will surprise you. France, Canada, the United Kingdom, and Australia. I think it's interesting to note with this, though, that some of those far eastern or, yeah, far eastern countries like your your Philippines, your um, your Japan's, those countries of the world that are like way out there, you know, where where you don't necessarily think of that being a place that they would do that. It's been kind of ingrained into the culture because of. Things mm-hmm. like SARS, things like MERS, yes. things like some of the previous. I mean, yeah, if you went to airports seen. in the past, some people from some areas were already wearing masks. Yes. Pr- prior to COVID, yes, of course. Um, they also talked about in the study how different factors play into people wearing masks. They said, obviously, the mandates and force people to wear it, but they said a very common thing they see in areas that are wearing masks that it's not mandated is peer pressure. And that applies to both ends of the spectrum. If you go outside and you see 10 people and eight people are wearing a mask, you're more likely going to wear a mask when you're out as well. You are because you're going to feel bad if you don't. Yes. And the opposite of that also applies. If you're if you're on vacation and you bring your mask to the beach or to a park to go for a walk or something and no one else is wearing masks, are you still going to wear it? I feel like it is a challenge for some people, and I've been that guy before, where I'm the only person wearing a mask in the room. Yeah, I've been that person before, you get, too. You get those stares. You walk into maybe a fast food restaurant where you're not going to be there for long, so some people have that mentality, well, I'm only going to be in here for five minutes. You, yeah, but that's you all it in, takes. You're running into the <laughs> gas station. Well, I'm just you know paying the guy to give me 10 bucks. It's funny that you bring both those things yeah, up, because I, are... I, I had that experience mm-hmm. on the way back from North Carolina. And then also I had the experience of a gas station. Allie and I were coming back from Cincinnati for something. We were dropping something off to a friend. And uh, when we were coming back, there was a guy leaving the gas station yelling at the attendant because he had to wear a mask. Hmm. And it was like just thinking you were only in there for five seconds. It's not really going to affect your time that much. I had an interesting experience at a gas station as well um, on Cleveland Avenue near you know, where I, where I live. Uh I was going just to fill up. It was at night, and it, the station, you couldn't go inside. You had mm-hmm. to go to the window to pay. And that's how that station's been after 10 o'clock. That's just how they do it in general. Sure. Uh, but the guy behind me in line was upset that we were waiting in line outside. He goes, this is the dumbest thing our country's ever done. I said, what? He said, having to wait outside like this. I said, well, this is 
how it was before COVID. Standard procedure. Yeah. And he goes, oh, well, it's still the dumbest thing we've ever done as a country. And I was like, oh, I'd argue slavery. Probably dumber. There's and he like, said, like five or said, six things. He said, okay, that's a fair point. But he was still upset. And I get that some people are, and I guess that that's a question. And we'll open up the phone lines, 330-450-1480, if you want to call in and give your opinion. What was the moment that made you start wearing a mask? If that hasn't, if that hasn't happened yet, what will make you start wearing a mask or start wanting to wear a mask? For me, I remember it was it's, as soon as Governor DeWine recommended it, I thought, this is time. I remember a week before that, Kenny Rhoda, our coworker, posted a photo of himself wearing it in the grocery store. And I thought, well, that's a bit much. Turned out I was wrong. And I'm sure a lot of people also thought, well, that's a bit much. Some people also think that now. That's a bit much. What was the turning point? What was what was the point of time where you were thinking to yourself, this is the right thing to do. This is the safe thing to do. This is the smart thing to do. Mine, again, was when Governor DeWine said the CDC recommends this. I remember making some. That's when they were hard to find. Now they're so easy to find. I'm getting selfies from my dad wearing his Fanatics Pittsburgh Pirates mask. I would say I've noticed a lot of companies are, are making a, a large profit off of yeah. Designing Hall of things. Fame has their custom ones. We need to get some here. JD has one of those. JD has a custom one. Hall of Fame one? Yeah. We need some WHBC ones. Okay, yeah. Looking online right now, my one friend has a Steve Madden one. As I scroll through Twitter looking for topics, of course he has that. But that's that's my question. I what John, what about you? When when uh when did that pop into your head when you should start wearing a mask? Gosh, it popped into my head probably around the same time that it did for you because I was honestly I was the same way I mean there was a point where I I thought that it was a a bit much at first because again there there I was following the guidance of what I heard from Dr. Fauci and at first you know Dr. Fauci was was saying not to hoard these things not to go after mm-hmm. it if it made you feel safe then you should do it but then um, quickly in about a, a week's time you know, everything changed. The governor started saying, hey, everyone should be doing this. The uh, Dr. Acton started saying it. Dr. Fauci started saying it. And all of a sudden, my my opinion of it changed very quickly. And now I'm, you know, I, I, I hate that we have people that are anti-maskers and maskers. But unfortunately, that is the world that we are currently living yeah. in. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue more mask talk. We uh, have a couple more studies I want to dive into here as we... Uh, Move this conversation along. You're listening to 1480 WHBC. Fourteen eighty WHBC Noah Hiles. Pinch hitting. Well, it's multiple at bats. It's three hours. So you could say bullpen work. A CDC study says if everyone in the U.S. were to wear masks, the virus would be in control, under control, excuse me, in four to eight weeks. So we would have things under control here in the good U.S. of A. If everyone started wearing masks, it would be tamed. Not gone, but tamed. In what, October? 
Yeah, uh, be, about that time. Yeah, about time. Late September, early October. Football season. Halloween. Holidays are approaching. Things would be a lot better. Have if, you ever thought about that? Halloween. That ain't happening. Lends itself, though, to, to wearing a mask. Yeah, it also... Lends itself to having to, a like, party. Just traveling. I mean, the whole concept is like touching doors. Which is very much so Can't not socially distant. Yeah, just throw... Instead of... Dropping it in the basket, you're just throwing Snickers. <laughs> Throw candy. Get little kids in the face. Make your house extra scary if you. Little Johnny, how'd you get that? How'd you get that? COVID? Just, just I got have, hit by a Butterfinger in the face. Just have blatantly scary things in the front yard if you don't want kids coming near you. <laughs> go get it. You want it? Go get These it. These look like real dead bodies. My goodness. All right. So, anyway, COVID 19, we're talking masks as we have been for a while. In this study, it's interesting. I mean, four to eight weeks, if everyone could wear a mask, you're seeing how other nations did this, and they're able to have semi-regular life afterward. And I think that that's what Americans are, some Americans are fighting for, some Americans are resisting. They, they want just, they want regular to happen now, regardless of the state of our country and, and COVID. Um, John, I wanted to ask you, since you're here with me, where are some areas, where do you draw the line with masks? Because they're not mandated to be worn everywhere. Where are some places where you will wear it? Where are some times where you won't wear it? So, I mean, I, I think it really just, it is a situational thing sometimes. It sure is. Because, like, on the golf course, I'm not going to wear a mask all no. 18 holes. If I go into the clubhouse, I'll wear a mask. Mm -hmm. If I come in contact with people that I'm not playing with, like when we went last Sunday because... I spend a lot of time with you. It's like, if I've had the virus, you've had the virus and vice versa. Correct. So it's like, I'm not going to worry about it there. But um, like, as I said, if I go to a store, I'm going to wear it religiously. If I go through, the one thing I do that I don't think a lot of people do is if I go through a drive-thru, I wear it. Because I'm going to come in contact with the person that I'm handing my card to. Fair. Even though they have the glass shield up, if I were to cough in their direction, yeah. there's a chance if I'm a carrier, I could pass it on. Yeah. So. You know, I mean, just I, I kind of gauge where it makes most sense, I guess. Yeah, and I've also kind of just been trying to take mental notes of where I see them a lot. When I go into a grocery store or a store like, you know, a retail store or something like that, like when I went to the mall, I went to the mall yesterday, did some shopping for my dad. His birthday is on Monday. Uh, hey, he's July birthday is yeah. July. Tomorrow's my birthday. Is know? it really? Yeah, it's a good, oh, good time goodness. to have a birthday. Oh, I didn't tell, even tell Dana I said happy birthday. I will, I will. He's I think listening. he's listening. He happy sure birthday, is, Dana. Yeah. My dad's listened to every ounce of content I've done since my fifth grade big, trumpet days. The big Hiles? Yeah, the D-Train is what there I call him. But anyway, uh, some places I've noticed masks, I see a lot in retail. I see a lot, basically indoors is where I see a lot of it. The only places I won't wear a mask, I, I'm a runner. I go running. I run pretty much every day. I try to go at least two miles. Um... I couldn't imagine running with a mask on. And I, I'm going to try it one of these days. I don't want to ruin one of the cloth ones that I have that, I mean, you can wash and you're supposed to wash and reuse and everything. But I just, you know, I feel like some of the sweat stink would still ray on there. I want to get like a like an N95 or like, you know, the one of those ones that you throw away after one use and just try to run two miles and see what it's like. Because I want to try to wear it everywhere. And I know that when I'm outside, you're safe to do that. But... I have seen people working out in masks, and I, I that's but personally that's where I draw the line. Is well, it, I don't I don't wear them when I'm outside when I'm running because I'm not trying to come in contact. Even though I do pass people on the sidewalk. Well, it's part of the piece that comes into the discussion with um, why 
you know, people wonder why it's like if you hold a protest or an outdoor event, why cases aren't as high at that as they are if you went to a an arena and you went to a ball game. Mm-hmm. It's because like even though the virus might be there and it exists because it's open, it doesn't have an easy way as easy a way to like, you know, just basically have a heat box to be in. Yeah. Whereas if you're inside and someone who has it coughs, you know, everyone in that general area runs a risk of getting it. If you're outside, it could get blown away. It could, you know, just things can happen. It's different. What about restaurants? Do you wear one when you're at a restaurant? I have not been to a restaurant yet. You haven't been anywhere? I've just done carry out. Okay. I've not been anywhere. See, I, I go out to eat, but I I think I've eaten inside a restaurant twice. And both times I, I wore a mask inside until I was seated, and then I took it off because the tables are socially distanced. But... Honestly, like I'm probably gonna go out with friends this afternoon, but I, I've I've found spots where there will be outdoor seating and it's not crowded and I can kind of keep to myself. See, and I think that's something that's interesting. If I did go out to eat, those are the only like ways mm-hmm. that I would is that I would have to find a place that I know is socially distant or outside. I'll tell you some of my secret spots. Plus all of our sponsors. You gotta eat at all those good spots as well. We're gonna take a break. Get the news at the bottom of the hour. When we come back, we're going to shift the topic of discussion. Six-year anniversary yesterday of Eric Gardner's death, the original I Can't Breathe murder that the Black Lives Matter movement is kind of centered around. We're going to talk about what's changed since then when we return. Yesterday was the six-year anniversary of the brutal death of Eric Gardner. For those who do not remember, Eric Gardner was arrested on July 17th, 2014 by four NYPD officers. They were seen on video restraining him. He was arrested for selling loose cigarettes, counterfeit cigarettes outside of, I believe it was a gas station. As they were restraining him, uh, they were on top of the man, and he unfortunately and tragically was suffocated to death. Last year, which would have been, what, five years afterward, uh, Officer Daniel Pantel was fired for putting Gardner in a chokehold. This is one of many incidents, and uh, it's it's it hits home, especially now, obviously, with the continued protests and movement following George Floyd's death, which was similar to what happened to Garner. And it's kind of interesting to see how things have been different since then, and maybe why they're different. Like I said, it's a very similar thing what happened. Floyd, I, what do you have, allegedly used in counterfeit money? At a, where was he, a Wendy's? Is that right? Or a gas station? Something along those lines. I think it was Rayshard Brooks that was at the Wendy's, remember, in the yeah, drive-thru? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's it's sad that there's so many instances of this where we get them tied together. But this was the original I Can't Breathe. This is where that came from. And after after this incident happened, it gained a lot of attention and traction on social media. I remember LeBron James wore the I Can't Breathe shirt. The Minnesota Lynx 
the entire WNBA team. That's the one I remember. Wore it. Um, it gained attention, but it didn't gain the traction that came from Floyd's death, George Floyd's death, or Breonna Taylor's death, or Ahmaud Aubrey, or just all three of those happening. And I, I wonder what the difference was, John. What what happened in the these six years following Garner's death that led to the movement getting more attention to more people marching in the streets, protesting, signing petitions, donating, raising awareness, speaking up. Do you think it had anything to do with Colin Kaepernick's protests? Do you think it had to do with more of the continued uh, instances of this kind of stuff happening? Do you think it had to do with us being in a pandemic where there were no distractions? In 2014, we had sports. We had concerts. Life was normal. Where now it's kind of, you can't look away. So I do think all of those things played into this. I think the pandemic played into it. I think that... Um, not having other things to worry about played into it. I think that uh, the video of it played into it, being able to see it again played into it. Same with Ahmaud Arbery. You could see both of those happen. They were right in front of you. You can't unwatch those things if you have seen them, unfortunately. Um, all of those things played into it, and, and I also believe, and might face some some criticism again for this, but... The, the the lack of leadership. I was going to say the man in office might have had something to do. The lack of leadership from the man in office who who is in charge of saying the right things during a, a volatile time like this. The fact that he has not calmed the troops has not helped. Well, and I'm not going to... As a, as someone who you know reports on news, I, I have to walk a thin line. You know, I can't make my opinion clear on one thing or another. Um... I mean, I think it's fair to say that the president has been wrong at times uh, in certain instances. But he's also, you know, you could argue he's done some good things. Nonetheless, I'm not going to reveal my opinion on him one way or another. But I will say that there is definitely more civil unrest. There was civil unrest in in numerous communities prior to George Floyd's death, prior to... Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor. And part of that civil unrest, people would argue, could be traced to the man who lives in the White House and who who's in charge of the country. And that might have played a factor. That maybe did play a factor. And his response to it might have stoked the flames even more. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just know that it's interesting, just looking back at that, how... It was a very similar thing that happened to George Floyd. Pretty much identical. Both videos were out there. And the reaction... I'm, I'm not going to say that the pain was different for, for how it hit people. But I think more people feel the pain this time around. And I think that out of everything that I've listed, the pandemic plays a role in it. People are already... People's spirits are down. There are no distractions. There's nowhere to turn. There's no other news channel. There's no other channel to flip to. That's really the only thing going on. The only thing for people to talk about was 
what happened there and COVID. Those are really the only two things. And they kind of became intertwined as the protests grew and the, the numbers of cases grew in some of those areas as well. But it's just very interesting to me that the Eric Gardner thing didn't catch on bigger at the time. And well, while it's sad that it didn't, I'll let you chime in here, John. It's sad that it didn't. It's good to see, I guess, now that more people are paying attention and recognizing the injustices being done. Well, and I want to note, too, that I think you and I both being... I was just starting here when the Eric Gardner stuff really hit. I was a freshman in college. And you were in college. Yeah. So I think that us not being in this position that we are currently in, having a, I guess to say a platform, if Mm -hmm. you will, it's changed our worldly view of how we see these things. That, you know, before we were in a position of discussing it with our friends, but now we're in a position where we can come here and we can, you know, in turn, discuss it on the radio, which I do each day. And now that you're doing it today, you know, you get the opportunity to do it as well. And it's like, it changes, that changes the way you have perspective of things. You start paying attention to it more when you want to talk to people that, you know, are listening to you about it. Because you all of a sudden take it more serious. And I think our generation is at that point now. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. And I think it's it's something that probably, uh, that's one of the first videos that have unfortunately become a common thing of, you know, African-American people, people of color being victims of police brutality. That's one of the first ones I can remember. And I know there, there are countless ones that took place before that. But that's still, Twitter Twitter had been around for a while. But how many viral videos existed of police brutality? I know Rodney King and all of that stuff happened in the 90s and that was on the news. But this wasn't filmed by a news crew or someone who was walking by, by that had a video camera. This was someone that just pulled their phone out of their pocket. And I think that this started a trend where when it's going down now, it's always recorded. Maybe not always. It definitely happens when there isn't a camera running. I shouldn't have said that, but it's you see more of these videos now. And Eric Gardner was one of the first ones I remember watching going viral on social media. This is one of the first ones where I remember social media um, helped escalate the Black Lives Matter movement. One well, and and maybe another thing to keep in mind too is that you know in today's world, I remember going to to a class one time at Otterbein and them telling us that there's going to come a time where news can be as simple as someone whipping out their phone, taking a video and it goes viral. And then every news cycle picks it up. That's that's like now I know. And it's like, the thing is that was probably seven years ago that we were having that discussion. But if you think like that's just as people were learning, like, well, maybe I can do this on an iPhone. Maybe I can do this on a, on an Android. Now that you're at this point where you're having this, everyone, who is living in the world that gets a video can become a reporter overnight. Not necessarily in the terms that they are reporting on the scene, but their video can act as B-roll. Their video can act as the important defining video of a generation. And it's like, you know, people are always going to remember that video by about, you know, what happened to George Floyd, but, you know, no one could tell you who actually took out the camera and was covering it. 
you know, because that's not the way that the world is anymore. We don't talk about the the camera work of somebody following it on the scene through the streets of Minneapolis. It was whoever was there at that moment, yep. and that's the defining video. As we wrap this up, do you think progress has been made since this incident? I and, and I it, in reality, it isn't our place to say really, mm-hmm. and it's hard to measure what someone defines as progress. Well, and I think that's the question that you have to ask with it, is what do you define as progress? I would say if you're talking about change being made, yeah, I would say there's been progress. Look at it from this standpoint. The cop that kneeled on George Floyd's neck was arrested. All all of them have been. Yeah, I mean, all the cop, but the the main one Mm -hmm. that Derek Chauvin, he has been arrested, and and obviously there's a trial to come, but... um, Law has made movement on that. The law has made movement on the Rayshard Brooks case. The Breonna Taylor case is still waiting, and many people are disgruntled by that. I know LeBron just posted about it last night on his social media accounts. Uh, Washington is changing their nickname from the Redskins to a team to be named. Mm -hmm. The Indians are discussing it. Those things, they all have different levels of what you would consider change, but they are progress because it's those organizations doing their part to try to end some of the injustices that we see in the world. So that's how you measure progress. Yeah, and I, I would I would add on to that. It's 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 attention. It's the Eric Gardner thing was in the news for two weeks and then it kinda went away. Where the conversation's still going on now. And it's 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 being had everywhere. It's being had in media outlets like the one you're listening to right now. It's it's being had at dinner tables and families of and it's not just happening at dinner tables of families of black people. White yeah, people are talking about just it. last week. I was together with Allie and, and her cousin and um, his wife and then her, her dad and uncle. And we sat and we talked about all of these things. We talked about the culture we're living in, the racial divide, the cancel culture, the president. We talked about it all for two hours. He, people who didn't necessarily notice this stuff. People who aren't on Twitter, don't live in that world, are are starting to notice it now. People who didn't understand what Black Lives Matter actually means are starting to open their ears and eyes. And I would define that as progress. Are we, are we where we need to go? Like I said, same, same thing for the journey of recovering from COVID. We're nowhere close. But I would argue that I think we're, we're a taking bit, steps. We're, yeah. we're a little bit further out of limbo on this. Yeah, I completely agree. But we're making our way through. We're going to take one more break. Final segment of the show coming up. You're listening to 1480 WHBC. I'm Noah Hiles. I feel like I'm in a truck commercial. You don't know the song? Yeah, I know this song. Oh, I love the song. It's yeah. Just... Is this Black Keys? No, it's Arctic Monkeys. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like Black Keys, though. <laughs> Which is like apples and oranges, but yeah. same thing. Black Keys are from Akron, so. You want, I mean, I could have. No, could've... we don't need to go down that road. I was going to hit you with some Black Final Keys. story of the day comes from an interesting website. Uh, we've We've cited the CDC. We've cited the New York Times. We've had people on from Cleveland.com. Uh, from the University of Mount Union, all all well-respected uh, educational pla- places of education or publications, media outlets, none or whatever they are. 
Um, this story comes from BarstoolSports.com, our final story of the day. And it's interesting because it highlights something that's very big in the news right now and puts their own little twist on it. If you don't know what Barstool Sports is, it's a comedy website, um, very popular for people in their you know 20s, 30s, or even college age, high school kids. Uh, but the headline of this article is, someone made an entire Instagram account showing all the celebrities Giseline Maxwell used to hang around with, and it is wild. Giseline Maxwell, for those who do not know, um, is in the national headlines for her relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, she was one of his alleged girlfriends, I believe, and, and worked alongside with him. She was arrested earlier this month on a multitude of charges and is being held for questioning. And it's, it's, it's an interesting story because you don't know how deep things go. And the thing with Epstein that made his alleged suicide, quote-unquote, interesting is of who he was connected to, who he was involved with, and how was he involved with those people. You hear about, you see the photos of, of course, him with, the Trump family and the Clintons, and you wonder if he had political connections on either side, and why were those people intertwined together? And I'm not here to discuss that, but you go even further when you see Maxwell and her connection with these celebrities. Here are some of the celebrities I noted as I scrolled through the Instagram account. Are you ready for this, John? I am. Martha Stewart, Mick Jagger, Michael Bloomberg, the Clintons and the Trumps, Elon Musk, Naomi Campbell, Pierce Morgan, Princess Diana, Kevin Spacey, Michael Caine, Charlie Rose, Roger Waters, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Denise Richards. Those were some of the people that stood out on this account. Now, you don't want to draw connections, especially something as serious as this. And... You don't know, I mean, you know all these names, but we don't know these people personally. We don't know what their relationship with Maxwell or if they had a relationship with Epstein. Maybe it was just, she was just at these events, admired these celebrities and wanted to take a photo with them or something along those lines. But John, does this, does this kind of creep you out that so many famous people are connected to this, the, to this horrible, horrible thing? This whole story is just gut-wrenching. It is, and it's almost like too, uh, I want to say too weird to talk about, but it's just like it's really strange. It's hard to wrap your head around. It is, because it's like I can't even begin to like think like if you knew this about this person. like and how why would, could you not know it? Yeah, why would you can, like, I mean, that's the thing is like there's too many like, how could you not know it? And then if you did know it, why would you keep going? And if you did keep going, like, why wouldn't you... Say something. And it's, it, you know, there's not, it's not always obvious, you know, when people are guilty of these crimes. I, I actually, one of my neighbors growing up, <clears throat> she was abused by her father in this way. And we had no idea. My family, I remember them explaining it to me. It was, it was jaw dropping. It was astonishing. Um, it was crazy. But, but see, it's, it but is... that's, but that's just, you know, your neighbor doing it to, one or two people. I mean, this is someone who had his own island. You know, I, I feel like that's got to be a bit more obvious. And what's kind of weird is you look through some of these names. I mean, Kevin Spacey's on here. Isn't he 
he's been guilty of stuff like this, hasn't he? Uh, definitely a, um, <laughs> probably the best way to put that is that that's a complicated tapestry. Yeah, and this is all alleged, allegedly and everything, because she still has to have her day in court, but do you look at these celebrities different? Is it, is it fair to look at them different? You know, I, I, I think that this is the thing. I don't know if we can always tap into a celebrity's world. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, because I think the things that a celebrity, like take a person like Tom Hanks, for example, mm -hmm. or like take, um, take any celebrity, they could be out somewhere, run into another celebrity, get invited to something without really knowing like who is in charge of it. Yeah. And go because it's like, well, I'm friends with, you know, Steven Spielberg invited me or mm -hmm. I'm friends with, you know, Mick Jagger or I'm friends with Michael Bloomberg. Like I got invited to this not knowing, you know, the entire situation. But then you keep going back because you don't want to disappoint the people involved. So, I mean, it's like I don't think we can exactly think in that scenario yeah. because that's not our life and it's never going to be our no, life. And, and it's as I think about it, I mean, the, the photo with Mick Jagger, how many pictures with random people do you think Mick Jagger takes? Thousands. I mean, every time he goes somewhere, that guy has taken quite literally millions of photos with people he has he could not name you one detail never, about them. Yeah, he doesn't know. He doesn't even know what their name is. No, exactly, and that could be the case. But I feel like it might. Wouldn't it be different at these high-profile events where it is just the elite of the elites and? Are you still asking for photo? When you're asking for a photo with someone, then wouldn't it be more of a a friend photo op, or is it still I'm a big fan? I don't know who you know. You don't know who I am. Quick smile and I'm gone in two seconds. Again, I I think this is where it gets difficult though, because like if you think about what we go through on a daily basis, like no one that we would ever know is just going to come up and ask us for a photo. So it's like we can't, you know, we can't think in terms of that like i mean they you know but i guess they can't either because i mean it's part of their life you know they just have to do it because yeah. if they don't say if they say no to the photo then they're going to be deemed uh, a you know the worst person in the world because they don't take photos with kids or they don't take photos with a person you know very fair i'll tell you what if you see if you see john or myself especially myself in public uh you can always take a photo with me say hi I, I would love to. We're going to wrap things up now. I just want to thank everyone for listening in. Thank you to all of my guests. Hayden Grove, Alex Stump, Lenny Reich, John, thank you mm -hmm. for producing along. And um, that's all we got. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms and stay tuned. We've got more good live and local programming coming up. Thanks for joining along on 1480 WHBC.